Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Local renters are getting a helping hand. Who will swing the hammer in Hamilton? We speak with the chief of Hamilton's paramedics. Learn how you can be a little more financially flexible. Controversy over Canada's redesigned passport. And the Leafs are looking for a new GM. The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. We know that housing affordability more accurately, in-affordability, is a real and serious issue in this community. So it was exceptionally enlightening and encouraging to hear about a new mortgage pool pilot project in this city. And it is the creation of Kiwanis Homes, the City of Hamilton, and the Hamilton Community Foundation, pooling resources together that will eventually help people who are renting in this community own the homes that they are renting. Brian Sibley is the executive director of Hamilton East Kiwanis Nonprofit Homes and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Brian, good morning. How are you? Great. Uh, great, Rick. Thanks. How does this program work? Yeah, so uh, this is a program where each of the uh, partners, the Hamilton Community Foundation, City of Hamilton and Kiwanis Homes, were investing a, a million dollars each in a mortgage pool. And uh, the purpose of the program is to help people uh, qualify uh, to obtain a first mortgage. Um, now, there's a couple limitations to the program. One is that uh, we're looking at homes that are $500,000 or less in value. And uh, people that qualify need to be at the 60th percentile of family incomes in Hamilton, which is about $95,000 a year. So how many individuals or, or families, because we know families are renting as well, right. how many people are going to benefit from this program or, or even qualify? Yeah, the pilot project is aiming at about 20 units to start with. Uh, we have a pool of about 200 homes. Uh, but uh, what we want to do is start small, uh, see how uh, how it works with this initial group to make sure that we iron out the difficulties. And then uh, this is a program that we hope will have legs for the next decade or so. So this program basically uh, helps tenants cover up to 40% of a down payment. Uh, do they eventually have to pay that back? How, do, how does the math work in this case? Yeah. So this is, uh, this isn't a gift. All right. So this is what we call a, a impact investment. Um, so the three partners are putting in uh, up to, as you said, forty percent of the uh, of the value of the home. It's uh, it's called a uh, it as a second mortgage that doesn't require any payment for twenty five years. Now, that means that from a, a debt perspective, people are just are paying for the discounted value of the home, right? So, if you take a five hundred thousand dollar home, uh, the discounted value of that home is three hundred thousand dollars. So that's what they're actually paying on is three hundred thousand dollars. Now, if they stay in that home for uh, and you know for the full period of the mortgage, the act the city's contribution is actually forgiven, so that they won't have to pay that back. At the end of the twenty five years, they'll have to pay uh, the Hamilton Community Foundation and Kiwanis Homes back the investment, but they will have paid off the home by that time. So it's a it means that they would remortgage and pay us back. As we know, circumstances change, lives, uh, you know, life happens, as as, right. as they say. What if someone has to move out of this home? How does that work? Yeah, so uh, if they're moving out of the home, then I, we're assuming that they're going to sell the home. And at that point in time, they will pay us back our investment as well as, you know, uh, they would take away any money that they've earned from the appreciation in the home. 
Interesting stuff. Brian Sibley is the executive director of Hamilton East Kiwanis Nonprofit Homes in partnership with the City of Hamilton and Hamilton Community Foundation to uh, create a mortgage pilot uh, a mortgage pool pilot program, which is going to help local renters become local homeowners, which at the end of the day is what we want to see. We want to see more people enter as homeowners. Uh, with a pilot project, these things usually have a best before date or, or an end dates to figure out, okay, is this working or not? What kind of timeline are you playing with? Yeah, we, we feel that most of the homes will be purchased within the first year. Uh, and at that point in time, we'll look at uh, what are the problems we experienced, uh, whether uh, people, you know, are able to maintain the homes um, and if there's any challenges that they've experienced. Um, so uh, experience with these kind of programs in the past in other communities uh, usually uh, shown that people usually pay uh, the, the shared mortgage contributors out between five and 10 years. You know, whenever the mortgage renews, it's usually about seven years. Uh, but we would be hoping that next year we'd be reviewing this program, see if we can continue it. Have you heard any feedback from people who are renting right now? And I, I would assume that they're really excited about this. Yeah, yeah. We've, uh, we're planning to have our education sessions commencing in mid-June. So we've been reaching back to people who have, exper- who have uh, you know, uh, expressed some interest in the past. And so far, we have a pool of about 40 people that are interested. Those are current residents of Kiwanis Homes. Uh, we haven't gone out to the larger community yet, uh, but but just in Kiwanis Homes alone, we're talking about around 40 people or so. This is a great idea. I mean, th- this is the type of out-of-the-box thinking that we need in this community, and, and I'm sure many other communities are thinking, wow, what's happening in Hamilton? we got to do that too. So, Brian, I commend you and everyone at the city and the Hamilton Community Foundation for thinking of this and, and moving the ball forward to address this housing affordability issue we have in this community. Thanks for the time today, and good luck with us. Thanks a lot. Brian Sibley is the executive director of the Hamilton East Kiwanis Nonprofit Homes. And uh, as I said, this this sounds like a win-win-win. Win for the renter, win for the community, getting more people in more secure housing. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Who's going to swing the hammer? That's the title of a new report that basically says Hamilton is going to become less affordable putting a strain on the social and economic viability of this community unless the city addresses its housing shortage. This report was compiled by Smart Prosperity Institute with the help from the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce and the West End Home Builders Association. Uh, But it does beg the question, who is going to swing this hammer? Dr. Mike Moffitt is a Senior Director of Policy and Innovation with the Smart Prosperity Institute at the University of Ottawa and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Moffitt, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. So before we get to who's going to swing this hammer, and I think we all have a good idea of who it's got to be, how is the hammer swinging going? I mean, we're in a place where housing affordability is a huge issue. Yeah, absolutely, and it's uh, it's a challenge uh, in the Hamilton area. So the the good news is that Hamilton is still relatively competitive for attracting uh, single twenty somethings from from the GTA. So you graduate from university and college, and you're you're taking your first job. Hamilton's a very attractive market uh, for those individuals who want to let's say live in a uh, live in a one or two bedroom apartment. So it still does really well there. The challenges are more when those 20-somethings become 30-somethings and want to raise a family. We're seeing increased out-migration uh, to surrounding communities uh, like like uh, St. Catharines and Thorold and Brantford, 
But we're also seeing out migrations to to places like Calgary. And that's going to be a challenge that all the the nurses and electricians and, and plumbers that we need to make a, a viable city just aren't going to be able to afford to live there. So we know we need to build more housing in Hamilton, but we have to ask that question. Okay, who's going to swing the hammer if uh, the carpenters can't uh, can't afford to live there? Okay, so let's get to it. Who Who has to swing this hammer? Well, ideally, I mean, obviously, we we need uh, we, we need uh, construction workers. We need tradespeople of, of all types. And the challenge is that again, they're leaving the city and often not not coming back. And even if they are moving to, let's say, a Brantford, if you're a nurse or if you're a construction worker, a carpenter, an electrician, there's a lot of work to do in Brantford. So even if they're within commuting distance of, of Hamilton, that doesn't necessarily help. Uh, so that's going to be a, a big, big challenge. And what we're saying is uh, that this is, unless we do something about it now, this is only going to get worse. So uh, no time like the present to start addressing the housing crisis so we can keep young families in the Hamilton and Burlington areas. This goes beyond just the city, though, right? Doesn't the provincial government, and I know, you know, Premier Doug Ford has come out and said that, listen, we got to build one and a half million homes over the next 10 years. Uh, all right, now we now we got to do it. Can can the city do that? Well, th- this is going to come from all three levels of government. So, you know, th- there are some things that the kid- city can do around zoning and approvals process, land use policies, things like that. But that's you know that that's only one set of policies. The the, the provincial government uh, has a suite of policies that, that they can use. They've had three housing bills in about thirteen months, and they say there there's more on the way. So. There's a lot they can do there on on both the uh, you know both both the home building side, but also the the skilled trade side. You know, making sure that we have enough skilled tradespeople. The federal government plays a role through through immigration policy, the the types of newcomers who are allowed to come to Canada, and things like tax policy. We had a piece in the Globe and Mail a couple of weeks ago uh, looking at uh, tax provisions to build more apartments. Uh, there were very favorable tax conditions in the '60s up until 1972 to build apartment buildings in our cities. We're saying to, to look at that, uh, bringing those back. So it's no one, it's a classic Canadian problem where there's no one level of government can fix this on their on their own. It's all three governments, uh, levels of government having to work together to try and solve this issue. We have one more minute with Dr. Mike Moffitt, Senior Director of Policy and Innovation at the Smart Prosperity Institute at the University of Ottawa as we talk about Hamilton's uh, housing shortage. Um, when it comes to diverse housing options. We're hearing more and more about the missing middle, those mid-rise, multi-kind of unit uh, developments. Do we have enough of those, and is that the wave of the future? Well, that we certainly need uh, more of those, and that's a lot of that's a zoning and approvals issue, that you can't build those in almost all parts uh, of the city. So we need to look at that. We need to look at more housing for seniors. Uh, there are big uh, shortages of seniors' housing. If we can create those spaces, it will help seniors sell their existing homes to the next generation of families. So we're not saying that we have too much of one type or another. We need the entire spectrum of housing in both Hamilton and Burlington. Sounds like we need a pretty big hammer and a lot of people to swing it at the same time. Dr. Moffat, thanks for your time today. Well, thank you for having me. Dr. Mike Moffitt, Senior Director of Policy and Innovation with the Smart Prosperity Institute at the University of Ottawa. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. This week is Paramedic Services Week, and it's officially underway with the focus this week on diversity in paramedicine. 
And with that as well, I mean, what what challenges do local paramedics face on a day-to-day basis? I can only imagine. Michael Sanderson is the chief of the Hamilton Paramedic Service, also the treasurer of the Ontario Association of Paramedic Chiefs, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Chief Sanderson, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm great. And yourself? I'm I'm great. The the focus is diversity in paramedicine. What are you trying to achieve with this uh, focus? Well, I think our focus is really to, to make people aware of the level of diversity that we have in paramedicine. Uh, we're talking about the patient, the provider, and the profession. Uh, when we look at the patient, uh, the patients we serve in, in, in our community and in communities across the province, you know, that the race, ethnicity, religion, cultures, gender, uh, the LGBTQ2S community, we have to make sure that we're serving them and that we understand their needs very well. And I think paramedics have stepped up uh, in, in how they do that and, and the recognition a large part of that is because our providers are increasingly diverse as well. Uh, we're, we're trying, I think, in, in terms of making sure that we have the right people within our systems uh, to match the diversity in our workforce with the communities that we're serving. Uh, the, the challenges and then moving forward on women in paramedicine, women in leadership, for example. Uh, I know when I started in the job, it was typically a white male profession. It's not that anymore. We have about 42% of our workforce is female. Uh, and we really celebrate that as they're moving forward. They're coming into leadership roles uh, across the province. There's many chiefs uh, the, of the services that are women now. Uh, and, and we continue to grow on that. So I think, you know, the provider is, is a significant reflection of the communities that, that we're trying to serve as well. So is the diversity in paramedicine within Hamilton, is that reflective? Does that mirror what we are seeing in the community? Well, I think we're trying to mirror. I think we're we're very close to matching it. Uh, you can never get the exact specifics on it, uh, but in terms of culture, race, ethnicity, religion, uh, we have all of those very well balanced, I think, and you'll see that in our vehicles. Uh, you'll, you'll see it with the crews that we have uh, and trying to match that off. We have work to do, uh, there's no question about that, uh, but it's really about trying to learn and to understand what those communities need and, and how we better serve them as well. In saying that, some of the the same challenges remain in terms of um, not enough um, uh, ambulances on the road, uh, too many Code Zero events. Uh, talk about the current challenges that you and the staff here in Hamilton face. Well, there are always challenges. And, and first of all, I'll identify mental health challenges. This is a stressful job. Uh, the things that we end up seeing on a day-by-day basis, our paramedics do an awful lot. Uh, 270 calls yesterday in terms of servicing for the city of Hamilton just was our paramedics. Uh, ha- having said that, I can tell you that uh, our council here has really supported us well in terms of putting extra vehicles on the road. Uh, they funded an extra seven, 12-hour shifts this year, and we're working very hard to get those vehicles on the road and the new staff hired. I've got 20 staff in training right now, uh, 20 new employees, and we're going to be repeating that at the end of the month with another 20 coming in. So we're starting to get a handle on the actual uh, number of paramedics that we require. Uh, call volumes are continuing to grow in the process. Uh, I, I'd have to say uh, for the hospital systems and the ambulance offload delays that were the primary cause for our Code Zero events, they're really starting to get a better handle on that as well. I give great credit to the Jurovinsky Hospital and uh, the work that they've done in, in reducing the ambulance offload time. They brought in some different approaches. Uh, they've really put a, a focus on it. Uh, the general is improving as well. Uh, and there are major trauma hospitals, of course, very significant challenges for them. So we are making significant inroads in terms of uh, ambulance offload time and the pressure. I can tell you our Code Zero 
events. Uh, here we are almost at the end of May. We've only had 14 this year so far. Uh, last year at this time, we'd had 78. So the, the reduction in the ambulance offload time, uh, ambulance offload time has improved. It's down 35% from what it was. Uh, so we are going in the right direction. Again, we still have a lot of work to do. The hospitals have work to do. Uh, and, and of course, the ministry has helped on that, the Ministry of Health, with additional funding for dedicated offload nursing staff uh, to the hospitals to help to make that happen. That is a great news story hearing that those Code Zero events are drastically reduced, and let's hope that pattern continues throughout the rest of this year, particularly in the summer months. We know a lot more people are out and active and and doing things and uh, uh, hopefully avoiding injury and uh, avoiding uh, the necessary uh, call to 911 and paramedic services. Chief Sanderson, thank you for your time and uh, best of luck going forward. Thank you very much, Rick. Appreciate it, and have a great day. You too. That is Chief Michael Sanderson, Chief of the Hamilton Paramedic Service and also Treasurer of the Ontario Association of Paramedic Chiefs. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, to no one's surprise, at least I don't think, Bank of Canada's recent financial system review shows that elevated interest rates and declining house prices have reduced the financial flexibility of many households. A.K.A. it's tight. It is tight when it comes to your bank account, your wallet, your the money that's coming in, the money that's going out. And so I thought it was important to bring on an expert to let you know about your options because there's many options out there. Paul Anacek is Vice President and Licensed Insolvency Trustee at BDO Debt Solutions and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Paul, good morning. How are you? Rick, I'm doing great. I hope you had a great long weekend. Great long weekend, great week off last week, and nice to talk to you once again here on GMH. Really, we shouldn't be surprised at what the Bank of Canada is telling us because our household debt has been growing and growing for years. That's right, Rick, and you and I have talked about it for a number of years now that the household debt has been growing constantly year after year. Uh, in its recent report, the Bank of Canada notes that it's uh, seeing really early, early warning signs of financial stress emerging. And again, that's really no surprise because you and I have talked about it for a number of years now. You know, that Canadians are experiencing financial stress, well, you know, it's no surprise as well. Look what we've gone through over the last couple of years. We've had COVID, we've had rising interest rates, we've had inflation, and Canadians are really, are really feeling the financial pinch now. So what's your advice to those who are in that financial pinch and, and, you know, they're looking at all their expenses, they're looking at the money that they earn, and, you know, the, when they're looking at the balance sheet, it, it's really unbalanced. How can uh, the listeners who are in this boat um, safeguard their financial well-being? What should they be doing? Well, panicking is not the time to do it right now. Uh, panicking is the worst thing that you can do right now. The second worst thing you can do right now is actually get into more debt. Interest rates are still very low. And that's one thing to remember. Even though the Bank of Canada is sending all these warning signals out, the rates are still really low. Uh, people, if you're taking a look at your mortgages coming up, take a look at that. You can take a look at that. Uh, also, you know, budget. Budgeting is very key right now. In order to get through this situation, you really need to have a roadmap as well. And a budget is key right there. We've talked about it before on your show, Rick. You know, half of Canadians don't have a budget. So sit down, take a look at your financial plan, take a look at the big picture, and you'll get through this. It's not the time to panic. 
Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Paul Anatchik, Vice President and Licensed Insolvency Trustee at BDO Debt Solutions. We're talking about uh, the financial inflexibility, if you will, of many households due to uh, declining house prices, rising interest rates, rising mortgage rates, and certainly a lot of people are in this boat. Let's talk about the things that you see, and we've talked about this on, on the show in, in the past, and that is the the level of debt stress, the, the warning signs that people should be paying attention to, and, and what advice can you share for these individuals? Rick, warning signs are very important. Notice it in yourself or your loved ones. You know, some early warning signs, you know, are you getting phone calls? Are you getting calls from your, your creditors, collection agents? Are they starting to contact? Are you losing sleep? Sleep is one of the most important things that people need. And when you start losing sleep, you lose your ability to really, you know, think and plan for yourself. That's one of the most important warning signs right there. Is your money causing you to lose sleep? That stress is real. Take it from someone who sees it on a daily basis. That's why I always say that sleep is very important. Yes, I know, when someone's under stress, that sleep is is hard. But it's one thing that you should really try and focus on. Another early warning sign, you know, are you robbing Peter to pay Paul? We've heard that saying over the years, but it does happen. People that have multiple credit cards at times will take cash advances in order to pay the minimum on the other. You're really not getting ahead. You're just stealing from one to pay for the other. And that is very important to keep an eye on. Another warning sign, you know, are you looking at places like cash money places? Are you having to go to high interest rate lenders? These predatory lenders really are charging up to 700% interest. So if you're looking at something, that's another very important warning sign as well. Absolutely. Any final advice for our listeners today who are in that financial crunch? Rick, there are always options. Finding those options is sometimes the hardest step. You know, contact the licensed insolvency trustee, such as myself. We are here to provide solutions for you. We'll sit down, we'll go over all your options, we'll give you that peace of mind. Great suggestions, great advice, and uh, a great guest as always. Paul, thanks for your time today. Okay, thanks a lot, Rick. Paul Anacek is Vice President and Licensed Insolvency Trustee at BDO Debt Solutions. You can find out more information online, bdodebt.ca. Again, that's bdodebt.ca. And you can also call Paul's office toll-free at 1-855-BDO-DEBT. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Have you been following uh, along with the passport controversy? Well, Canada is issuing new passports this year, and they're... The good news is they're going to be apparently more secure. You can renew them online, which I think are two big pluses. No more standing in potentially long lines to renew your passport. However, the, and you, knew, you knew there was going to be a but here. The new design is also creating some controversy because some people are pointing out that, listen, we have removed iconic figures historical images of people like Terry Fox, of places like Vimy Ridge. They've been replaced by images of kids playing uh, a snowflake, animals like a caribou. What's the fuss all about? Or should we be inclined to talk about this and, and say what gives? Jason Hannon is an associate professor in the Department of Rhetoric, Writing, and Communications at the University of Winnipeg and joins us on GMH. Jason, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Is this much ado about nothing? Uh, yes, absolutely. That says it plain and simple. <laughs> is this is this the opposition parties? Is this non-liberals uh, 
saying, hey, you Grits, uh, what are you doing with our passport? How dare you? Well, it's uh, an attempt to uh, make an issue out of nothing. Uh, and I would argue that this is because um, whatever kind of um, platform, uh, political platform that they have isn't exactly a very attractive selling point. So it's much more politically convenient to um, drum up uh, anger and outrage and fear over non-issues. Uh, it's just a much more strategic way of doing um, uh, uh, politics. It's incredibly cynical, and it uh, shows a certain kind of contempt for uh, the Canadian public. Some people are intimating that the new passport is erasing Canada's history. I think that's a little much or a little rich. Um, but the mayor of Terry Fox's hometown has come out to say, wow, this was this went over the line. Would you agree with that? Well, I, that's not for me to, to say, but I mean, uh, I mean, we didn't have any of these iconic figures um, in the Canadian passport before 2013. Um, before that, it was just the Canadian maple leaf on page after page after page, and these things undergo a redesign every 10 years, right? And you're right, it's, it's, history is not being erased. There are memorials to Vinnie Ridge, there are memorials to um, Terry Fox. Um, uh, history is recorded in books, we have documentaries, we've got schools, we've got classes, teachers. Uh, history is, is being preserved just fine. History doesn't stand or fall with a passport. That idea is patent nonsense. And, and you know, the use of the passport or, or a redesigned passport, in particular by the opposition parties, and I'll focus in on the Conservatives, because Leader Pierre Poilievre has probably been the most vocal about this, really, to me, kind of points to the, the smallest little thing being another point of divisiveness in, in trying to get that separation or that kind of how-dare-you-finger-wagging moment. Yeah, absolutely. And the consequence is that we now have uh, Canadians being divided over uh, a very trivial issue. Uh, and this is going to have an extremely corrosive effect. It's part of a larger pattern of deteriorating social relations in this country. Um, and Canadians are becoming more bitter and paranoid and cynical towards one another. You know, we used to look at each other as I don't know, neighbors and look out for one another. And that, that idea is being hammered out of our heads and we're moving towards, you know, cynicism and paranoia and suspicion of each other. And that's really not healthy for our society. Yeah, I can certainly travel back in time. That was a much uh, more comfortable place politically uh, and in our society as well. Jason, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you so much for having me. Jason Hannon is an associate professor in the Department of Rhetoric, Writing, and Communications at the University of Winnipeg. Yeah, to me, a small issue being blown way out of proportion. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Look, when a general manager is playing out the last year of his contract, there's, there's always the possibility of a contingency that you might need a new general manager. He might choose to go to another team. And I think that I felt I had gotten a little bit closer and felt some indications that we were going to work this out. I would say after the press conference on Monday, I was less sure. That is Maple Leaf President Brendan Shanahan as we welcome you back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. The Maple Leafs front office drama hit its peak on Friday when Shanny said that the team had parted ways with general manager Kyle Dubas. So who's going to be the next Leafs GM and, and what is this going to mean for the franchise's future. Stephen Ellis is an associate editor and prospect analyst with Daily Faceoff and joins us now on GMH. Stephen, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Rick? I'm good. Two very, I would say, odd 
news conferences. We'll start last Monday, so a week ago yesterday. Kyle Dubas gets up and uh, basically says that, you know, it's been a, a tough year for him and his family. You know, the team achieved a lot. They've had some highs and lows. It was nice to win round one of the Stanley Cup playoffs, finally, for the first time in 19 years, but they still have a long way to go. And and the golden nugget and all that was he didn't quite know whether or not he wanted to be back and, you know, go back to last Friday. And, and Shanahan basically pointed to that fact to say, okay, I guess we're going to go in another direction. What are your thoughts on what you saw a week ago yesterday and what Mr. Shanahan had to present on Friday? Well, first, I was there on Friday during the press conference. That was the weirdest thing I think I've ever <laughs> attended. Just the way that it was all presented and the way Shanahan kind of just explained everything was just so odd, but uh, in, in more in a unique, interesting way. But, you know, the way that Dubis just kind of came out and said that he wasn't sure, like, you know, if he really wanted to be the GM, if, if you know, if he wasn't going to be in Toronto, he didn't want to be anywhere next year. Like, you know, you don't hear that ever. Usually when, you know, GMs are confident in themselves and they're holding themselves and, you know, like they, they want that security so for him to kind of show some insecurity there was you know definitely unique and then with Shanahan to come out there and say you know that was part of the reason why they made the change there it's just like wow so everything really came together quite quickly and it was on Friday morning they made that decision you know I just get I, I don't think I agree with the decision to let him go in the first place but it's just like the fact is that maybe Maybe it was for the best. Maybe Dubas truly didn't want to be there at that point. I get it. You know, it's a hard market to really be in. And, and you know, the pressure's always there. And that's, well, obviously why he mentioned the things with his family there. But to, to the way it kind of all went down, I think, you know, is just going to be something that I think a lot of people are going to regret looking back. It, it sounded like the, the way that Brendan Shanahan was presented, almost like a daily kind of, you know, this is what we did this day and then this happened. And, and it was really a, an, an itinerary of all their meetings and texts and emails and exchanges that it seemed like he was going to go forward with Dubis until Monday's newser in which Kyle said he, he, it wasn't all, he wasn't all in. I guess that was the impression that many, that Brendan or many fans thought about Kyle Dubas. He wasn't, he was unsure whether or not he wanted to be the Leafs GM. Do you think Dubas that was attacked and, and maybe he overplayed his hand? For sure. Uh, and then you hear all the, the rumors and then Shanahan goes out and says, you know, there were some contract issues that came out kind of really at the last moment that really kind of spiced things up there. And, you know, put it this way, I think if any team could afford to get the guy they really want, it's the Toronto Maple Leafs. And for them to, you know, to... to for for Dubas to overplay his hand in that case, I think, you know, the Leafs had to have some doubt. And that's when, you know, when Shanahan says there was some doubt after the Monday, that's kind of where I'm leaning there, too. It's like if they, they could have afforded whatever race he wanted, it's, again, it's the Toronto Maple Leafs. If that was the issue, that would have been a little silly, which is why I don't think, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, it's all over money. It's like, no, it, it, this is clearly something where he went out there and, 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 and overplayed his hand and then you look at the just it, it was almost like he probably shouldn't have spoke on Monday and, and Shanahan even told him like hey maybe you should just not talk let's try to get through this first and and instead he went out there and it kind of put him in a bad spot. Stephen Ellis is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Stephen is an associate editor and prospect analyst at Daily Faceoff. You can uh, read more from him online at dailyfaceoff.com. There's also an article on the website, Eight Candidates to Replace Kyle Dubas as Toronto Maple Leafs GM, and it has a list of uh, the eight, uh, what we think are the favorites. Uh, do you have a guy in mind that you think could be the guy in Toronto? You know, it's obviously one of the hardest jobs and I think in hockey is to be the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs but the one guy that's 
been involved for a while is Brandon Pridham. And that's a guy that I think the Leafs should be looking at. You know, he was the guy that gets credit for uh, being able to manage the salary cap as, as strong as he has, you know. I think that's something that's such an underrated aspect of the Leafs the last couple of years is that they've been playing near the cap, the cap um, for a while and they've had all these big contracts, but they continue to find ways to get around it and stay competitive, which is not an easy thing to do. And and that was Pridham's job was to make sure that worked out. So, you know, a guy like that, really smart, really highly rated in, in hockey, and we already know a couple of teams do want him. I think that he'll be the guy that ends up becoming the next GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Is the biggest priority for the new GM figuring out what to do with one of the core four or, or maybe even two of the core four? I think, and it sounds like from, from reports we heard yesterday that you know the Shanahan kind of wants those four to stay around. And I think the next GM, that's got to be the goal. You got to keep these guys, at least for this next season, you got to be looking at signing Matthews long-term. And I think you can maybe see, wait and see what happens with Nylander. But, you know, you don't, win by removing key aspects of your team and not finding a suitable cheap replacement and i don't think you can do that so i think you got to keep that core four and you know I, but the, the biggest goal this summer has to be signing matthews long term so you don't put yourself in a bind uh you know down the stretch there we got another minute i know that kyle dubas said uh, you know we uh, we should not expect him to uh, go somewhere else uh, within a week. Although Pittsburgh has come a knocking and has asked permission of the Maple Leafs to speak with Dubas, do you expect this to potentially be a match? You know, I, I think Dubas should be courted by most of the league. I think he's a very smart GM, young, he's got a long future ahead of him. Uh, going to Pittsburgh, where he would go and, and have to save that team in the last couple of years of Sidney Crosby and in Evgeny Malkin's career is not something I'd want to do. But, you know, if, if anyone I think can make a really big splash and, and change things, uh, instead of going the retread route, I think you can go with a guy like him who still has a lot to prove. So I, I think that would work. I don't think that, that happens, though. I think he does stick to his word and does take the year off. If anything, it's going to be the most interesting off-season in Leafs history, at least in recent memory, that is for sure. Stephen, thanks for the time. Thanks for waking up with us. And, uh, hey, great coverage on the World Hockey Championship as well. Good luck with the rest of the way. Yeah, thanks so much. Stephen Ellis, Associate Editor and Prospect Analyst at Daily Faceoff. More details online at dailyfaceoff.com. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode and make sure you rate and review.